out comes Joe Montana. My first thought, Craig, the first second he ran out, I'm like, he doesn't look real hurt. You know, exactly. that was like a, like that. And I went to Bill, I go, Bill, he looks great. Bill, he gave me that, uh, you know, sorry. Overcoming the odds, rewriting the playbook, delivering under pressure. The MVPs of small business lead their teams to victory all year long. And Visa is proud to provide playmakers everywhere with more tools to help grow their business and help them achieve even greater success. Because the more people we can empower, the more we all win. Visa, a network working for everyone. Hey everybody, what's up? Trey Wingo. Welcome into another episode of Half Forgotten History. And this episode is sort of my own personal history. My guest this week is a guy that I've known since 1978. And I've hated him most of the time. That's not true. I've been very jealous of him most of the time. I was a short, unathletic dork. He was everything and went on to have a Hall of Fame career uh, in the NFL. And how he got there is absolutely remarkable. I'm talking, of course, about the Prince of the Post Road, the King of King Acres, the Sultan of Sound Beach Avenue, Hall of Famer and fellow Greenwich resident, Steve Young. My God. Steve, first of all, I think if someone looked at your career from the helicopter view, they would First say... First of all, do we, don't we have to cover that we're like, we, we have a history and that we grew up in the same place and we know the same people and we, we do joking with each other for 15 yeah. years on air and yeah. do we have to cover that at all or does everybody know all No, that? let's start. We'll start with the Pope of the Post Road, uh, the Sultan of Sound Beach, the Zarmender of Zacchaeus Mead Lane, Hall of Famer <laughs> Steve Young, who went to this, we went to the same high school, but Steve, I always tell people... We were in this same building, but we were in different schools. Okay, yeah, that's probably right. But Janice, look, I went to. Did I go to Eastern with Janice? I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. Janice so, is my wife, Janice, so Janice and Steve smartest. and I are in high school together. So you talk about yin and yang, you and Janice, because yeah. she's the smartest person I ever met. So uh, yeah. I don't know how that well, worked out. I d I dumbed down that equation, so uh, <laughs> it, it, it's 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 a good balance. So yes, we've gone back and forth together, and for many times. For many times, by the way, I would say to Steve, hey, you know, we went to high school together. He's like, what? Get out of here. I always it, 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 I loved it. It, it. it was great. It, it, it was took great. you a while. It took it you a while great. to realize. It took me a while to kind of connect, but once we connected, yeah. it was all good, especially with my, your wife. I knew her when she was little, so it was great. Oh, yeah. So, okay, so so now. Okay, enough of that. Let's, yeah, enough of that. Let's let's start here. If someone had looked at your, just a helicopter view of Steve Young's career, they'll say, well, you know, he went to BYU, it's a passing school, so of course he was going to go on to have great success in the NFL and be a two-time MVP, Super Bowl MVP, first ballot Hall of Famer. But that was not how it went down. I mean, no. you had to fight for everything, no. every step of the way in your career. You know, Trey, it's important to recognize that when I was in high school, uh, what they do now with kids who have any kind of an arm is that they yeah. quickly give them all of the tutoring that's necessary. And throwing a football is not intuitive. Maybe yeah. for some. Maybe yeah. someone picks it up and goes, oh, I know how to throw it like a screwball and have it come out that way so I can get some more power behind it. But most kids spin it, right? Yeah. Yeah. They go, oh, it needs to spiral. I'm going to spin it. And that's how I threw it in high school. I was terrible. I couldn't throw anything. That wasn't until college. I got recruited by BYU because I could run around and because they didn't know where they were going to put me. I wanted to play quarterback, but at the time when I left high school at Branch High, there's my, our Greenwich High friends 
They're like, Steve Young went pro? Like, uh, yeah. I didn't see that. Just so people understand, okay, like Steve was an amazing running quarterback. He completed, we looked this up, 41% of his throws in high school. 41% completion wouldn't get you a, a, a JUCO offer that's these like, days. That's like Tim Tebow's throwing motion. Like, how does he do it? Like, it's amazing. I, I uh, how did I ever complete 41%? That's a miracle. <laughs> so the yeah. thing is I get to BYU. I'm, I, I remember getting, uh, I, I showed up uh, to the locker room and they had the depth chart on a piece of paper, every position. And a quarterback, of course, back then, BYU was the only throwing school. That in Miami and maybe Stanford a little bit. So if you wanted to right. be a pro-style offense, you had three schools to go to. So all these kids from all over the country would try to get into BYU to play quarterback. And at the time, Jim McMahon was the quarterback. Uh, Gifford Nielsen had just left. Um, Mark Wilson had just Mark left. Wilson, guys that yeah. went pro, right? So for three guys in a row going pro, some in the first round. So here I am. I don't know how to throw the ball yet. Yeah. Like, because no one taught me in Greenwich High School. And I've been 41%, but man, I could run. And so yeah. they, I, they said, do you want to try to play quarterback? And I said, yeah, eighth string. I looked on the depth chart, and there's my name. It wasn't alphabetical. Like, I was eighth string. I thought it might have been alphabetical. Maybe it's just, you know, why, and, you know, that's why I was at the end. But the truth is, you know, it went from Jim McMahon to, you know, Jim Kimball, the, the Eric Marzik, I mean, Mark Howgo. The, I remember all the names. And, yeah. um, and so I – I started playing, essentially being the scout team quarterback, and they all ran the wishbone or the veer option, New Mexico, Utah, uh, Pac-12, I mean, Pac-10 back then, you know, yeah. and so I would be the quarterback and I would just butcher the, the BYU defense. And so like, I, I got to be known a little bit, but then about, I'm going to say Halloween time, there were three JV quarterbacks I used to rotate. Andy Reid was our coach. Wow. I'd forgotten Andy that part. Our, Andy Reid was Andy Reid was our JV coach. Wow. And uh, we played at Air Force, the JV, and it was yeah. my turn to start. And right before the game, Andy came in to me and he said, hey, Mark Halgo's dad flew in from Minnesota. And so oh. I just feel like maybe he should play because his dad's here. I'm like, ah. no. no that work. <laughs> Andy and I still laugh about that. I'm like, no, that doesn't work. But anyway, about Halloween, uh, Doug Scoville, who was the offensive coordinator for BYU, very famously, because we were, I mean, you go back to those record books. Oh, my gosh. They, you, yeah. Today, you'd be like, oh, yeah, that, that seems like a little bit more like today. But this is 30, 40 years ago. So Nobody, was, would, nobody was throwing it the way BYU nobody, was throwing nobody. it. And it nobody. Was, and we were doing it. We were beating people 83 to 7. I mean, it was crazy. Yeah. So anyway, I ran into Doug Scoville, and I didn't know how he knew my name because I'd never talked to him before. And right. he's shadowing me for saying, he says, oh, by the way, I, I don't coach lefties. So he, he ruled you out. Is this the offense coordinator at BYU? He ruled you out because he didn't want a lefty throwing yeah, the ball. I don't coach lefties. And he walked away. And I was like, uh, uh, okay. I don't know about that. I mean, I should have been more offended. I just, yeah. I, I was shocked and I didn't know what to do about it. But, but in the interim, what he doesn't realize is that by, you know, when Phil Mickelson learned to play golf, watching his dad play righty, so he played lefty right. with each other. Right. That's what I did with Jim McMahon. And so yeah. Jim McMahon, who, as wild and crazy as you think Jim McMahon is, technically, as a quarterback, as technically sound as anyone who ever played, drop back, yeah. bounce up, balance, position, throwing motion, everything was like perfect. You know, uh, even today he would be perfect. And so I copied him, and I finally realized, oh, you don't throw the ball spinning it out of your hand. You throw it like a screwball coming like this and your finger is the last thing. And when you figure that out, the timing of it, all of a sudden, instead of spinning it, because you can't put anything on it, 
you can get behind it. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh my, this is, and I can put it right there and right there. And right, all of a sudden this talent that I never knew I had, yeah. but I'm lefty. So <laughs> what do I do? So they moved me at the end of the season. Lavelle Edwards, the head coach, came in and said, look, Steve, you're super fast. I'd run the 40 in like, I don't, I don't want to over-exaggerate it, but three, yeah. four, four, three something, four. No, you, no, could, you moved. Could, you moved. There's no question. I could fly. And, uh, yeah. uh, but I want to play quarterback. And now, now especially I want to play quarterback because I figured out how to throw the ball. Yeah. And he said, now, nah, Steve, you know, you're not going to play. There's 15 guys in front of you. Just play defense. Tom Holmo, who yep. I played with at the, in, in, Ab- in 49ers, now is the AD at Absolutely. BYU. He'll teach you the ropes on, on, on back, defensive back. Am I going too long, Trey, or do you want No, to no, this is good. This is good. So, uh, I, so uh, he goes up, and I start working out backpedaling with the defense and looking at the quarterbacks, like, I don't want to be here. Get me out of here. <laughs> and in the interim of winter, winter ball, Doug Scoville takes the head coaching job at San Diego State. Yeah. In comes Ted Tolner from USC to run the offense. And I, after, after practice, the quarterbacks would hang around and throw, and so I would hang around and throw. And Ted Toner goes, hey, why aren't, you, why aren't you playing quarterback? He just happened to watch me throw. He goes, I go, well, because I'm lefty. Yeah. And Ted Toner goes, what the hell? What, what, who cares if you're lefty? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> but yeah. I told him that's what Scoville told me. And so he goes, well, that's stupid. He went in, talked to Lavelle, and Lavelle says, yeah, like, Ted, he's got 10 guys in front of him. He goes, I just got a feeling for this kid. Give me two weeks of the four-week spring ball. Give me two weeks. At yeah. the end of two weeks, if it's not working out, we'll ship him over to defense. And at the end of the two weeks, I was backing up Jim McMahon. That's incredible, right? That's, That's incredible. So two then, uh, yeah, and the first time I remember seeing you, we were at a party somewhere in Greenwich because you were a year ahead of me, and there was a sideline shot of the Holiday Bowl, that massive comeback against Texas A&M. And there was a, there was a shot of Steve, and we all joke because you know, like you said, what, what is well, that? Yeah, that's the only time he's going to be on the field or, or on our TV is, be, is because of that. And then, of course, it just exploded. Now, obviously, uh, Tolder coming in made a big deal, but there was another quarterback that had he committed to BYU, it might have set you back well, immensely. Sean, Sean Salisbury. Sean Salisbury. He, he, was the, he was the number one recruit nationwide. Yep. Uh, Mormon kid from Southern California. And so... Yep. They're like, if we sign Sean Salisbury, he'll start first day, you know? Yeah. And I was set to start. I was set, like, I'm ready. I'm taking over Jimmy Mann. What are you talking about? I'm, I'm here, you know? Yeah. But the way it was, I had not played, and I hadn't been able to show people what I could do. And so I, I think if Sean Salisbury signs, he's the big star. He's going to get a chance. Now, if Sean Salisbury would have sucked, you know, maybe I would have yeah. had my shot. But these are the kind of things these – these binary forward forks in the road where one yeah. fork, you're never going to play again. Another fork, you have another yeah. shot. And that's why my dad's Hall of Fame speech in Canton was, and he was a long way from Canton. But the thing <laughs> exactly. that people don't realize, Trey, is that yeah. when you don't know how to throw a football, how can you play quarterback? And, right. that, and the miracle and the amazing thing about it is I figured it out. And, and once I did, you, that's when things just, you couldn't stop me because I could run right. and I could throw it. And uh, not many guys could do both. And, and by the way, listen, Sean chose USC and yeah. went on to play, did great. But, like, it's amazing to think, you know, if he had gone to BYU, things might have been completely yeah, I, different I for agree, you. I agree with you on that one. I agree with you. It was a big deal when he chose USC. And, uh, and I was relieved, of course. Yeah. So, so then you go on and you explode. You had that amazing year, 1983. And, you know, you're, you're – 
it all worked out. You set all the records, and then everyone thinks you're going to be the number one pick in the draft. Uh, but you decide to go to the USFL, uh, which was a startup league, and they offered you, I remember the headline, the $40 million man. They offered you a $40 million contract in the 80s, which was unheard of. It was uh, more you, than Magic and Gretzky and all put together. Yeah. And it was just a, it was a great, not a gimmick, but it was like, it was $40 million over the next 40 years, yeah, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get but, it to you. We'll get it to look, you. Look, I mean, Sam Weiss, the head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals, came out and worked me out. And after the workout, said, look, we're going to, we have the number one pick. We're going to take you. Yeah. And, uh, and Kenny Anderson was the quarterback. And, and I, I didn't, I mean, you know, I was so young. I, I wasn't, you know, I, I was more comfortable when, you know, John Hadle came up with Don Klosterman, who had run the Rams for many years, and yeah. Sid Gilman. And if anyone knows back then, Sid Gilman was the father. He's ahead of – he's Bill Walsh's – Correct. Bill Walsh got most of his stuff from Sid Gilman in the old AFL and the, the San Diego Chargers. And Mike Holmgren – now, we, we skipped over Mike Holmgren – was my quarterback coach, my offensive coordinator at BYU my right. junior and senior year. So Mike Holmgren knew Sid and said, look, Steve, Sid's the genius – you can go down there and play with my buddy Gordon Hudson, who was my tight end, all-American tight end. Gary Zimmerman, who ended up being the Pro Football Hall of Fame, was a Absolutely. rookie tackle from Oregon. We, and it was L.A., and we were living in Manhattan Beach. And I went down there for the recruiting trip, and I'm like, I'm going to do it. And Reggie White, who was my yeah. buddy from the, from the Hula Bowl, he and I decided to do it together. Like, he's going to go to the Memphis Showboats, so I'm going to go to the Express. So Jerry yeah. and I built a friendship right out of that. And uh, my dad helped him get his – his uh, agent and Reggie and I have been dear friends ever since, uh, you know, ever since until his passing. So, you know, those are the kind of things that we were doing. And we, we thought, look, we'll go play and we'll play. We won't watch Ken Anderson. And when we're done or whatever happens, we'll be free agents. We can go anywhere. And right. so Reggie and I were like, that sounds like a great deal. And yeah. it worked out until US, the NFLPA negotiated our rights away and had a supplemental draft that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers took me number one. That was, that was, I was like, wait a second. Yeah. I told my dad, who's a lawyer, yeah, can they do that? Yeah, yeah. They just yeah, they negotiated for everybody. You're dead. Yeah, yeah. It sounded great. And then, of it course, great. Lawyer, then lawyers. And then lawyers. Yeah. I will tell you the football, the football I played at the LA Express, and this is not personal, but just the football that I saw was yeah. better than the football that I saw in Tampa Bay. Well, listen, there's that famous game between you guys and the Houston Gamblers with Jim, Jim Kelly, Kelly that was was never recorded. I mean, it was supposed to be. It was a black. Like, it was, it's that's the best. That's, yeah, that's the best game that no one ever saw is, is what everyone says about that game. All right. We'll take a quick break right here. We'll come back and talk about the next thing that you had to overcome in getting into play in the NFL. Stay with us with Hall of Famer Steve Young. Starbucks Triple Shot Energy. Extra strength coffee beverage in a can. That Starbucks coffee you love, ready to drink. Four core flavors, of course, as you know, vanilla, dark roast, cafe mocha, and caramel. And now they're offering two zero sugar options as well, black and vanilla. Energy to do you for the things that you want to do. Like for me, gearing up for a great guest and an interview on a podcast, watching the games, or getting ready to kick somebody's butt on the golf course, which happens a lot. What gives you energy? Find your Starbucks Triple Shot Energy online or at your local store. All right, back with, I always say my high school quarterback. I didn't play, but I, we're, yeah. we were in the same high school, so you were my high school quarterback, That's right. Steve Young. So the USFL, you, you went there, and obviously the lawyers, and it imploded, and suddenly all these investors, we didn't really have the money we thought we had. So you are taken number one in the supplemental draft by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And people should know this was the 
epicenter of Tampa Bay suckiness. I think they were in the middle of 12 straight, at least 10 lost seasons. Yeah. It was a disaster. So you had to prove yourself to get on the field at BYU after yeah. really being a running quarterback in in, uh, in high school. You get there, you set the record, you go to the USFL, that falls apart, and now you find yourself just at a franchise that was not going anywhere. It was tough. And the thing I will tell you, you know, James Wilder, Jimmy Jimmy Giles, you know, Ron they had Helm, some players. Yeah. There's they, not a lot, but they had some tough human beings. Yeah, and it just shows you that if you don't have the correct infrastructure, um, if you don't have a, a sense of you know, uh, a spirit of a place that creates, you know, environments where people can be successful and give them a sense of accountability and, and do that from the top. You, you, you just, it, we are, it was mired. So I, when I say that the Tampa Bay Buccaneer football was worse than the LA Express, yeah. it's not about the players. No, the it's guy about the organization. Was the I mean, we had some yeah. great, and James Wilder is the toughest human being I ever. I, I mean, he Running back out of Missouri. I, I can't tell you how many times I just looked at him, what he went through. I'm like, that guy's the toughest human being I ever met. And uh, then I met Ronnie Lott, and so maybe the two of them. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but I think that um, for me, Tampa Bay was the place where I needed to figure out a way to show that I could play. Like, yeah. okay, we're not going to win. I see that it's going to be tough, but I got to go play and play something where I uh, get a spark. And uh, so I, I gave every ounce of myself. And whatever record, whatever stats are on there, just know that that's every inch of myself. Every bit I had went into whatever those completion percentages, those interceptions, touchdowns, that's all I had. And yeah, then, well, I'm, uh, looking, at, I'm looking at him right now, unfortunately. Yeah. You know, two and, four, two and 14 seasons, three and 16 as a starter, even though wins are not a quarterback sad, I'll die on that hill. 11 touchdowns, 21 interceptions. Like, to me, Steve, your, your lasting memory of a Tampa Bay Buccaneer is a game in Green Bay. You get tackled. There's snow everywhere. And, like, that summed up to me the Tampa Bay experience. Like, it could not get any worse than getting sacked with a face full of snow, getting the snot beat out of us in Green Bay. When you, when you said three and 16, I'm like, I got three? <laughs> no, we were in Green Bay. I, I don't want to belabor this story, but it's, you know, it's my first road game of my NFL career. We go to Green Bay. We land in a blizzard. They yep. close the airport. We're the last plane in. They go to the, we get a snowplow that takes us over to the hotel. We're in the hotel Saturday night blizzard. It's just howling. I can hear, you know how you're laying in bed. You're like, yeah. <laughs> look outside. It's sideways. You're like, okay, this is my first start. Uh, okay, this is not good. So we wake up, it's a bigger blizzard, yeah. bigger. One of the all-time blizzards in Green Bay history, you can look it up. You couldn't get to the game, no cars, everything was impassable. They put a plow in front of our bus to get us to the stadium. It's the lowest attended game, not because it was the Bucks, the lowest attended game in Lambeau history because no one, you had to you ski there. there. You had to snowmobile yeah. there. So they had like, you know, there's, there's 5,000 people that could snowmobile there and that's how it yeah. was. We get to the game, we, we <laughs> The guy, the equipment manager, forgot the, the winter gear. Oh. It's still sitting on the tarmac somewhere. That's why you're a bad organization. You're going to Green Bay in a blizzard, and you don't bring the winter gear. Oh, the, the big crate, the big bin that had the winter gear. So everyone was like, I wore my suit pants. But you had to wear something. I need to get freeze to death, right? Yeah. And, uh, and then I remember Lehman Bennett came in about uh, you know, an hour before the game. He said, hey, fellas, uh, warm-ups are optional. <laughs> you that's can the head go coach, out. By the way, that's the yeah. head coach at that head time. Coach. You can go out if you want to. Otherwise, you can stay in. 
What did everybody choose to do? Stay in. They I went stayed out. In. I went out and I remember they had piled the snow for every five yards. So it was yeah. like uh, Edwin Moses. You had to do the hurdles yeah. of 50, you know, like if you're going to run, you had to like jump over the pile of snow. And uh, anyway, I'm belaboring it, but we were in white, of course, yep. all white. I remember being under center and looking out and the snow was hit my eyes. And I was like, I, I can see the green, plenty of green. I see no white. Yeah. And so I'll tell you one last thing, two things quickly. Uh, I was, I, I couldn't complete a pass. I was like, how are we going to ever, I remember James Waters in the hallway, but James, I'm going to drop back over my dead body. I'm going to be the first quarterback in NFL history that doesn't complete a pass in an <laughs> NFL game. I didn't know yeah. the stat, but I figured that there was not anyone that never been 0 for 10 or something. So yeah. I said, James, jump in front of me. I'm going to shovel you the ball and at least I'll be one for something. Right. <laughs> and so James did it. We, we did it. And I was very excited. And then I got sacked once by Tim Green, uh, Tim uh, Harris. Yep. And Tim Harris plowed me into one of those five-yard things with a pile of snow, and it got stuck in my helmet. And I could, literally couldn't breathe, Trey. I was like, no. I couldn't breathe the bottom of the pile. And so you start scrambling. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. I, ah, I started scratching at my face trying to be able to breathe. And Tim Harris goes, what's your problem, bro? And I'm like, bro, I, can't, I couldn't breathe. He goes, oh, oxygen. Oxygen is that. my problem. Yeah. Oh, two. We had an O2 yeah. deprivation. So uh, that was my first start in the NFL. Welcome. Yeah. All right, so here's the deal. Okay, so you had to struggle through a 41% completion in high school. Then you go to BYU, you're 35th on the depth chart, you get there. Then you finally make it to the NFL, and it's just a shit show, for lack of a better term. When you heard the Niners were trading for you, were you elated or were you like, now i got to fight for a job behind Joe Montana? No, okay, so uh, there's a pretty good story there. Quickly, uh, they traded me the St. Louis Cardinals. But I had developed a relationship with Hugh Colbert, the, the owner, who had told me three months or four months before that, that you, I was his quarterback for life. He goes, look, I, I, we're going to try to build a team around you. Until Ray Perkins showed up as the coach and hated lefties. And they, he told me, I hate lefties and I hate scramblers. I like, mm. Okay. Okay. So uh, Doug this, this should go well for me. It's going well. So anyway, they <laughs> traded me to the St. Louis Cardinals. And they told, called me. I was, I was home in Utah in the offseason. And I called you Colbrouse, right? Mr. Colbrouse, please, you know, I'm, I know, look, we're not, we don't have a great team here. I'm willing to build it with you. I'm willing to, but don't send me the Cardinals. I mean, it's like, that's just another death wish. You know, I have a, and he, he called and called it off. Wow. He called me back I did not know that call, story. He called, I called it, he called it off. And, um, cause Ray Perkins had called me and said, wow, congratulations. You're a St. Louis Cardinal. You know, and I'm like, thanks, right? Uh, so I called Mr. Colbrouse and he said, he called me back and said, Steve, uh, we, uh, you, you have a week. I told you you're my guy for life. I'm going to stand by, you know, if you're going to trade you, the new coach, I can't tell, I can't overrule him, but, you know, I'll get you a place that you want to be. And that's where we started the recruiting process with Bill Walsh called and uh, I met him at BYU. And he said, Joe Montana's had his second back surgery, Steve. And I, because I told him, look, much as I want to come to the 49ers, I can't just watch. I'd rather go to law school. Right. I'm not going to come watch. And he says, you know, you're not going to have to watch. And Joe's had his second back surgery. I, I, need, I think you can do this. And he, like, I don't know what he saw out of the Tampa Bay film or the LA Express film. I mean, you know, there were some, some highlights. But uh, anyway, I decided to do it. And I just remember the first practice in uh, Redwood City before we moved to Santa Clara in 1987. First practice, first, you know, first Dave's mini camp. Uh, I go out early. I'm warming up. And then I've never met Joe Montana in my life. And out comes Joe Montana, my first thought, Trey. The first second he ran out, I'm like, he doesn't look real hurt. You know? Exactly. That was like, like that. Like, like yeah. it took me five seconds to go, he doesn't look real hurt. And I went to Bill, and I go, Bill, he looks, you said he had two back surgeries. He looks great. 
Bill, he gave me the, uh, you know, sorry, you know. Uh, who knew? Who knew? So that was oh the, that God. began. But I got to give Bill credit. He threw us together. He did. I mean, he threw us together and he demanded things from me. And I mean, I, I learned how to be, and I watched Joe and I just like, you know, off we went for the four-year odyssey. Yeah, and it took four years. I mean, there was... I mean, there were some bumps in the road between the two of you. I, you understand why, because you wanted to play, and he had no interest in giving well, up yeah, the thing no, that yeah. he had done. Exactly. You know? I, we did a commercial, uh, a Visa commercial recently, where it was awkward. We were trying to handshake, and everything was awkward, because our yeah. whole experience, you know, we, we never had a crossword. We never argued. We, we were yeah. really two swell guys that just were thrown together, but we were competitive, and yeah. it was awkward every second of every day. Always so, awkward. So, so that took four years for that sort of lead to resolve itself. And, and so you're finally the guy. And then out of nowhere, they decide to bring in Steve Bono and bench you. That, it, it seems like every one step forward, two steps back the entire way. Uh, yeah, no, it was – I will tell you, um, in the middle of those four years, three or four times it looked like, you know, I'd gotten my way out of there. I was trying to get back out of there because I, I knew that I got to play. I mean, I'm, I'm 26 years old. I got to play. And, uh, and I felt like I'd played some really tough football. And you know how you, like, I've learned it. I get it. I know it. And I can do it. And then yeah. I watched Joe do it. I'm like, okay, I, now I really get it because I've seen the best. I can go do this. And, uh, and now I needed to go find a place to do it. And we just yeah. two or three times, it was on draft day. It looked like the Raiders. Another day, it looked like the Vikings. Another day, and it just never happened. And then finally, in, when Joe's arm got hurt in 91, that got me the chance to kind of take control. But as you know, that I'll tell you one quick story about that. It's we're, we're like three and four. We've been, we've been three Super Bowls in a row. Now I take over and we're three and four wandering around and everybody, every human being in the Bay area would be able to say, what's wrong with the 49ers? Steve Young. Steve Young. Yes. And so on the, on the, above the fold of the San Francisco Chronicle, they both wore broken out and, and the headline was Gulf War. It's Steve Young's fault. Like that was the headline. <laughs> And so it's super funny, right? Super yeah. funny. But I unless it, unless it's your name, I, yeah, yeah, I'm living there. I let, I have to go to the brunch. And so look by the you know nothing simple. Like you yeah. you skipped over the fact of replacing Jim McMahon, who had 85 NCAA records. Correct. In college, right? So yeah. I get to be all American. So it's like I get. Well, I, I famously was second in the in the Heisman where I got a sweatsuit. They handed Mike Rozier the trophy, and they handed me a sweatsuit. I remember that. Hey. The Heisman sweatsuit. Weighed like yeah. 60 pounds, you know. Was like, it velour hey, at least or velvet no, something? No, it was one yeah. of those classic 1910 jobs, you know, <laughs> Mr. Olympus, you know. <laughs> like if it got wet, it would, it would, you couldn't carry it. It'd be, yeah. too, it'd be too heavy. But anyway, but so now I'm 91 trying to take over and it was not easy. And I, I had a couple of really seminal moments in 91 where I, I, I gained some, you know, Yoda-like perspective, uh, from a couple of people that really changed my, my perspective and, and it got me, got me in the right frame of mind. And that's when it all took off. 92 MVP, 93, 94, 95, I just yeah. took off. So yeah. And, uh, and so 92, you won the first of your two MVPs. The only problem there is right before the season, I argued that the most significant shift in the power of the nineties happened when the San Francisco 49ers for reasons I will never understand traded Charles Haley to Jimmy Johnson and the Dallas Cowboys. I'm like, what are you doing? That is your oh rival. I, honestly, there's 32 teams and 31 of them, well, not us, but 30, 30 of them were fine. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really, Charles could go anywhere. 
but you give them the Cowboys when they're really on the yeah. rise. And uh, right on you know, the coast. That, it was it was a three year. You talk about an odyssey playing those guys. That was the best football team, other than our football team, ever put together. Like it was like the Cowboys in ninety two, ninety three, ninety four, and even ninety five. I mean, it was just it was one of the all time teams. And yeah. Charles Haley going there was just the you know. To play Charles in championship games was yeah. so – I want to scratch my eyeball out, Trey. I mean, yeah. it was like, you got to be kidding me. I got to play the Cowboys and Charles Haley? Uh, but, again, I mean, my dad, he's a long way. Oh, it's just like it, – yeah. it's just a, it's a constant thing. But living it out, it, I was super I, – I think what happened in 91 is I realized how grateful I should be to be able to have had the experience I had and to be where I was instead of be laboring and bemoaning all the things that you could easily play the victim. Like playing the victim is so easy as a human being. It's like you can snap into victimization like in a second. And if you live there, like I was yeah. thinking I was going to live there because all these things you just described. I mean, yeah. how many things can a guy overcome? How many bad breaks can you get? How, finally, I realized, you know what? Forget all that. The truth is I'm a lucky son of a gun to be doing what I'm doing in this spot. Go take it. Go fight. Like it's, you're here. Go. And I think that yeah. was, um, you know, that was a big moment in 91 where I kind of grew out of that hole I dug myself feeling bad for all the crap that I've been through. Like, who cares? Yeah. All right, let's take one final break here and come back uh, because finally there is a happy ending to Steve's young career. I guess you haven't <laughs> figured that out. Stay with us. We're coming right back. <laughs> hey, everybody. Trey Wingo here to tell you that NFLSundayTicket.tv is like having front row seats to every out-of-market game all season long every Sunday afternoon, no matter where you live. That is a lot of football. And guess what? This season you get more football than ever before. 18 weeks of NFL glory right there in front of you, streamed to your favorite device. Just picture this scenario with me. You sit down, you put your feet up, kick back, eat snacks, and watch an insane amount of NFL football every Sunday afternoon. So make your seat a front row seat and catch every second of your favorite players and your favorite teams every Sunday afternoon. Now to see if you're eligible for this, make sure you go to nflsundayticket.tv slash sundayready and stream every NFL Sunday ticket game this season to follow your favorite team no matter where you live. Use promo code WINGO2021 at checkout to get 15% off. Exclusive discounts also available. Select international games excluded. Eligibility restrictions do apply. Compatible device required. Data charges may apply. Week three of football's in the books, and now it's time to review the tape and get ready for week four with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. To kick off another action-packed weekend, DraftKings is giving new customers $150 instantly when they bet $1 on any football game. And listen up, because you don't want to miss this deal. Head to the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and place a bet of $1 on any week four game to receive $150 in free bets instantly. The Sportsbook is not available in your state yet, don't worry. DraftKings still has huge cash prizes up for grabs all season long with their daily fantasy contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code WINGO to receive $150 in free bets when you place a bet of $1 on any football game. That's promo code WINGO this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only, minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer and restrictions do apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. 
All right, back with uh, Steve Young here. So, again, you finally get the starting job. You lose back-to-back years to the Cowboys and Charles Haley in the NFC Championship game. And then in 94, when we still think potentially this is going to be the year, you lose to the Eagles 40-8 to at Candlestick, and George Seifert benches you. And you were furious. He said he wanted to protect you, but you knew how that looked. So, George... Remember, Bill had thrown Jerry, Joe and I together in 87, 88, pretty effectively. Yeah. Like, I played I played a quarter of each season, almost five or four or five games. He started me a couple times when Joe could have played. Like, yeah. it was amazing. And then when George took over in 89, it was like, no more of that. And so George and I had a, you know, strained relationship. Not, right. we never argued with each other, but I just, I, I felt like uh, he didn't give me much of a chance, right? Yeah. And so... That, that, that went away, and we, we played well, and everything was great. But in 94, um, when he came to the sidelines, at, we were getting beat by the Eagles. We were, ter- we were terrible that day. And he says, hey, look, you, Jerry and I were sitting there. Jerry Rice and I were sitting together on the bench. He goes, I'm going to take you two out, and, uh, and then we're going to start putting the, guy, the guys in. We're going we're gonna to call this one. I'm like, fine, that's fine. So we go out to start the, 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 the next series, and out comes Elvis Kerback alone. Like, oh, and it just triggered something to me, Trey. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I have never, I'm not, a, I'm not a guy that gets in many fights. I, I, I've never hit anybody with a closed fist in my life. I hit a kid in ninth grade who was after my buddy Dave Van Borkum with an open fist. I hit him like this, you know, yeah. but I'm not, you know, I'm competitive and tough, but I'm not somebody that's going to, but I broke and I yeah. wanted to fight him right there. Yeah. I was like, I remember I'm done seeing it. This. I remember I seeing done. it. Yeah. I am done. I'm done with all of it. And the idea that you're now at this moment going to try to point the finger at me, you know, you bastard, no yeah. way. And yeah. uh, so I went to the sidelines and I didn't stop. I was, I was going to fight him. And I was saying things that most human beings would have turned and least engaged me. And I give George a tremendous amount of credit for just looking forward and not turning around because yeah. people around us knew that something had gone haywire with Steve Young. Steve Young yeah. had lost his mind. And even after the game, I said, if he doesn't come from front of me, I'm not leaving the stadium. I'm going to tell you, tell you. And George got his stuff and just left. He got me hanging right there. You know, we got over it. It was fine. But I just remember that was a, it was a cathartic moment in some ways, Trey, because like, you know, I just, I just got sick of it, you know? And Yeah. Uh, well, it's, anyway. it's funny because that could have been the worst. And it turns out, I think that was the last game you guys lost. You won like nine year. in a row, yeah. You won, you won it out. And, of course, you play the Cowboys at Candlestick, third year in a row, Ugh. NFC Championship game. You beat them 38-28. to 28, And that was the Super Bowl every year. Like, that was a year. That was in a string where I think the NFC won 14 straight Super Bowls. I think so, you're right. Whoever won the NFC was going to win the Super Bowl. Right. So and, and, and there's the infamous shot of you on the sidelines after throwing six touchdown passes against the uh, against the Chargers of Gary Plummer taking the monkey off your back. But the Cowboys game was really the actual monkey, right? I, well, you look, I did not I did not appreciate the Chargers, even though we won 49-26. The Chargers were better than you realized. Yeah. But and maybe well, like the that, first play of the game, you hit Jerry Rice with like a seventy-five yard touchdown. Even that pass. night playing them, I'm like, Ooh, these yeah. guys are tougher than I thought. But yeah. but the Cowboys were the Kings, and the Cowboys yeah. were, I mean, how are you gonna how are you gonna figure out how to beat them? And uh, yeah. we had to kind of figure it out for the third eight year in a row. And so that was a it was a huge thing. I mean, I think we beat we beat the best team that ever got put together almost and kept them from three peating, just like yep. the Giants did to us in 1990. So. When you finally beat the Cowboys and you, you still you had the record, which still stands, six touchdown passes in the Super Bowl, Super Bowl MVP, 
And when did you finally think, my God, people are going to stop doubting me? Like, was that the moment? Uh, like, the okay, second, what, what else can I do? The second that I came off the field, the end of the third quarter in the Super Bowl. Yeah. You know, I went over and picked up the phone to tell Mike Shanahan, great game, we did it, you know. And that's, remember, yeah. that famous story where he yelled at me? Yeah, yeah. Like, get back on the field. I told you eight touchdowns, and we got t- plenty of time before the game. He had told me when we were kind of going through it. He's, I call him Mike, let's go through it again, and Channing. So yeah. he was down there going through it again. And I'm like, Mike, I think we got it. He goes, you know what? You do have it, and you're going to throw eight touchdowns. Who's coach says that? This is where you're going to throw eight wow. touchdowns. And so when they pulled me out because we were up so much, he was pissed. He's like, get back out there. We got to get, we got to get yeah. eight touchdowns. But I, at that moment, I knew that my life was different. Yeah. And it was, it was, it was, it was, it was different in a really positive, great way. And, uh, you know, cause that's, uh, you know, in San Francisco, you can win MVPs all you want. I proven that that doesn't matter. Yeah. Right. You have to, you have to go to the Super Bowl and win. You know, it's funny. Your, your story is such about perseverance and it seems like in today's NFL, there is no patience, right? There's no patience by organizations. And sometimes there's not a lot of patience by players. So what would knowing, what you went through to become a first ballot Hall of Famer and retire at the time having the highest passer rating ever a single season, which has since been lapped because the game is completely different from when you played it. What would you say to organizations and players about about the the, the persistence factor and how important yeah. that is? Well, I would say that you just described the game has changed so much because of the rule changes and the safety factor. The safety, Correct. They try to make it safer. And, in the, and what they've done is they they've made it college-like because there used to be a, a professionalism. You had a full-time job year-round, and the sophistication of the game was, was in, off, off the charts because you were professional. Now they limit the time for coaches and players. It's college, and so there's not going to be patience because it's college football. You have a spring ball for a couple OTAs and a summer camp, and you yeah. go play ball. And last year in COVID, you didn't have a summer camp, and you Correct. go play ball. And so coaches don't have a choice, and rare organizations in many ways, trade don't have a way – to have that kind of patience because the game is now. Like if a kid comes out of college, hey, let's say Lamar Jackson comes out of Louisville and they say, let's just run the Louisville offense. Well, yeah. 20 years ago, that was not an option. Right. He, you know, Lamar had to learn the pro game. Now, just run Kyler Murray, just run Oklahoma's offense and you can have success. So the idea that there's gonna be someone that, in many ways, if you don't show right away that you can play pro college slash college football, Granted, faster athletes and, and, you know, faster game, but still the sophistication is not there. You're, you're going to, I, I, even I say it as much as I love the persistence and, and be, people should be patient. I say, if I see six games from somebody and I just don't feel like this guy's going to figure it out. I, I even, I think, you know, in the game today, you should be able to six games to show something. Yeah. Well, it, it, it listen, it is, it's, it's just funny to list all the highest passer rating seasons now. I mean, Nick Foles is up there. You know, you know what I mean? That would not have happened in the 90s. And no, nothing no, no, against no. Nick, and he's a great guy, but let's let's just be realistic about it. You know what I mean? I, well, I'm very jealous. I saw Tom yeah. Brady, and I was like, Tom, what's it like? You know, because he played the, you know, he yeah. played for 20 years, so he knows what it was when he was a rookie, and he knows what it is today. He goes, Steve, they can't, no one patrols the middle of the field, because that was, used to yeah. be, you know, death zone in the middle of the field. No Absolutely. one patrols the middle of the field. The flats are open, and no one can touch me. Yeah. I'm like, that's the, yeah. that's, the, that's the triple crown right there. Like, you know, you can't be stopped. That's why he's playing at 44. It is exactly why he's playing yeah. and why I'm jealous. Because yeah. you could. You can do it because you don't have the physical 
challenge anymore. People are open. That's why yeah. that's his point. It's like in the pros, no one was ever open. Jerry Rice yeah. was kind of open, you know, yeah. but yeah. no one was open. Now everybody's open. So it's super fun to think about. I'm not jealous. I'm, what am I? I'm not bitter. Wistful. I wish. I just wistful. wish. Yeah, You're wistful. Yeah. It's fun, a fun time to play. So let's put a pin on this here then. If someone years from now will look up Steve Young and see the things that he accomplished, what would you want that person to know about what it took for you to get there? Yeah, that's a good question, Trey. Yeah, a, that's a great special there. Uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, I think more than anything that uh, um, you can you can have a lot of stuff work against you or things lined up against you, but there is a place where you know you're you you you're just not going to stop climbing. I'm just and yeah. I want, maybe they think me as somebody just. You know, the bulldog on the pant leg of life. Like I'm just, that's just, yeah. uh, uh, and then, you know, to me, it's not just, it's not just surviving. It's thriving. It's yeah. like, yeah, tough things happen. Things don't work out perfectly, but not only did I survive it, I thrive. And I think that's what I want people to remember. I get, you know what? I answer my own question. I would want people to see the excellence, a guy that before his time could throw it and run around and, you know, and when you talk about efficiency, you know, was he a good passer? Right? Let the numbers speak themselves, you know. And so I, I think that's how I'd want to be remembered is just an excellent quarterback who could run. Well, listen, I, I think the excellent quarterback part was answered when, for a guy who didn't start a lot of those 15 seasons, was a first ballot Hall of Famer. So yeah. uh, I, I think that question has been answered, my friend. Uh, he is the Admiral of the Avenue, uh, the troubadour of Todd's Point. And, of course, the Amir of Eastern Junior High School. None other than my high school quarterback, Steve Young. Hey, buddy. Sorry. Always a what pleasure. A, what a pleasure. What a pleasure. So thanks to Steve Young, my Greenwich or Greenwich compadre, for joining me. Always good to catch up with him and so proud of the things he's done in his career to become a first ballot Hall of Famer. We're just about wrapped up with Season 4 of Half Forgotten History. But before we do that, we've got a special bonus episode coming up for you tomorrow. It's another bourbon time episode with longtime NFL linebacker Takeo Spikes. Takeo on the list of potential Hall of Famers for 2022, so congratulations to him. And he has one thing on his football resume that you probably don't know about, but you need to know about. That's coming up next with Takeo Spikes. This episode of Half Forgotten History is brought to you by Starbucks Triple Shot Energy Extra Strength Coffee Beverage in a Can. What gives you your energy? Find your Starbucks Triple Shot Energy online or at your local store.